brings up two scenes. It's meant to evoke in our memory, if you know, the big scene, these big scenes in the story of the Bible where in the very beginning it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that the earth was formless and void, meaning a chaotic, disordered state, but the Spirit hovered over the waters. And in that moment, the Spirit hovered over the waters, it said, with all the potential and power to create life. Because it was in that moment of tension where all life was about to come into being in that moment of the Spirit. And see, the Spirit still has the power to do that today, you know? The Spirit still has the ability to come speak and breathe fresh life into our souls that have been long dry and dead. That even if we've looked to other things to try to find that life, when we're saying, you're all I want. And when you come, my heart starts to pound. Why? Because he's the life giver. He restores life to our souls. But the second scene is when he says the wind and the fire that reminds us of that scene in the very beginning of the book of Acts. After Jesus has died, risen again, ascended to heaven, and he said, prepare. So they waited in this upper room. Again, a moment of tension. And it says the wind, the Spirit came in like a wind and like fire settled in and filled every believer in that house. But this time there was a recreating power because he empowered the very people of God to go out and to spread his life to the world. It was a missional power. Then he gave them not only the intimacy of being united with God by his Spirit, but a purpose in this world to go spread his life across the world. And so when we're praying and when singing, come rest on us, that is what we are imagining. Saying, Lord, bring your life again to our souls and then send us out in your power. And so, Lord, I want to pray that over all of us here and now, that yes, that your spirit would come again and rest upon us. You haven't changed. The power of your spirit definitely hasn't changed. And and so I pray that you would come and find in us humble, open hearts, that you can that you can breathe fresh life within us, that you restore the weary, battered, uh, wounded places within our soul, that you breathe life in us again, and then in doing that, God, that you also empower us to go out in your strength, the strength of your Spirit be able to reach those who do not know you and to bring your life to others. For it is their souls too that crave, crave union with you, the God who loves them. So creator, send your spirit again. Recreate the hearts of those who are far from you and empower us to be about your business in this world. We need you. We can't do this without your spirit. We're nothing but a hollow institution with a bunch of programs without your spirit. And so we invite you to come and do what only you can do among us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So. Just with that, the open hearts, man, have a seat for a moment. We're going to have um, a more extended time of worship in just a minute. But I, but I, I want to open up God's Word and, and, and lay out a foundation for us today, and which will then um, 
Thank you. Uh, give us a sense of knowing how to respond as we, as we turn to worship through music again in just a moment. But I want to tell you guys um, about an experience first that Shelby and I had this past week. Um, a week ago today, Shelby and I were able to travel down to Asbury University um, in the little town of Wilmore, Kentucky, to witness what God was doing there. Now, if you haven't heard or read about it yet, um, just a quick backdrop. On Wednesday, February 8th, a bunch of students and faculty at Asbury University gathered for what was, seemed like a, a normal chapel service at about 10 a.m. But what made that chapel service so different is that it never ended. <laughs> that, that, that people didn't want to stop praying, worshiping, confessing before the Lord. It, it, was, it was just a sweet time because they were experiencing God like never before. And so one day became two days, and then two days became three days, and that became a week and a half. And it wasn't a show. There were no celebrities in the middle of it. It was just students with a deep hunger for more of God. And in that, there's, there, there's stories of broken relationships being reconciled. Sin was confessed. And eventually through Instagram and TikTok, like, other people were hearing about it. And students from other universities started coming in. And, and now we're hearing about similar works of God happening in, in all sorts of different universities across the U.S. I think I even heard one's broken out in Stanford today. That's, that's not close to Kentucky. Um, but all that to say... Throughout that whole experience, it wasn't just college students, over 50,000 people descended upon this little town of Wilmore to experience what God was doing. And like, like many of you, because I've, I've heard some of you have been following this story, we were following it from a distance, but we wanted to go, but we didn't see how it would be possible given all the stuff of life. But God somehow provided the means, the childcare, the timing so that we were able to go and be part of it just this past Monday. And I have to say, I have never witnessed a collective hunger for God like I did there. Never. People were waiting four to six hours in line just to get into that main auditorium where it all began. And it was, it was kind of wet. And it, was, it was cold. But the line was part of the experience, too, because in the line, people were praying, they were worshiping, they, they, they were sharing stories with each other. There in the middle of the common, just a few college students gathered with a guitar and a cajon, and a massive group of people gathered around them and started just singing their hearts out to Jesus. Like, and, and throughout all of this, we, we, there was one woman who, who came to Wilmore from Chile. She sold her car to get the money she needed to be there. Who is it? Like, what is this? And, and we met another woman from Norway, student in Oslo, Norway, who's been praying for years that God would bring a similar movement in Europe. And so, she, so last minute, he just provided the means for her to be able to come and be a part of it too. We saw people from all generations, from babies to the elderly. One man had a hard time walking, but he was waiting in line. He would take his chair and, and sit down and wait for his group to meet up with him. And then he would take, pick up that chair and move it down to the next place and sit down again. Like it, just doing whatever it took in order to just be a part and see what God was doing. We heard so many different languages being spoken. Spanish, Korean, Burmese, all united by a hunger for God. And when Shelby and I finally got into the main auditorium, there were no fancy lights, 
There was no loud sound system. Like there, was, there, was, there weren't even words projected on screens. It was just a, a simple group with instruments up front, but you couldn't even hear the instruments super well because the roar of the voices in the room was so loud. And people lined down the aisles coming down for prayer. There were about 25 to 30 prayer partners up front and constantly busy. Many were confessing sins. Some gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. But, but it was a presence of, of like a true humility, but also a genuine joy. I've never experienced anything like it. But what was palpable for me, and I've heard others explain this too, was just the sense of peace that was in that room. And they said, as I heard others talking about this phenomenon too, they said, well, the younger generations, meaning a lot of college students today, one of the number one words that often used to describe them is anxious. And anxiety, anger, cynicism seem to be common descriptors. So how did the God seek to pour himself out upon them as peace? To show that this generation will not be defined by anxiety. But if, for those who are humble and hungry and seeking God, that he's going to bring them a sense of peace. And it's beautiful. But the people at Asbury would be the first to say it's not about Asbury. It's actually not about a physical location. It's about God. And it's about what his spirit is doing in this time and place in history. And that whole experience made me ask, do I believe that God can do similar things here? Or am I just content with how things are? The same distractions, same sin struggles, same just stuff. Areas of discord, brokenness in relationships. Do we believe that God wants to liberate people here and now? Are we hungry for more of him? Man, I, I had to ask myself all these questions and wrestle with it for myself because I realized I'm not even often aware of the things that keep me back from following God completely. But I want freedom. And what I experienced there was freedom. It was a sense of freedom. People didn't care what anybody thought. They just wanted God. And that's what he wants for all of us. That's what he wants for all of us. And, and as we went, went on that experience, I thought it was pretty amazing. that I, we, and I knew we were coming back here and we are going to start a new sermon series called Truly Free. Because this is what God wants for us. We might be truly free. But I want us to listen to Jesus' words in John 8, 31 together. And as we do so, consider, what is it? What is freedom? And how has he made a way for it? And now when Jesus is speaking in this passage, he's speaking to a group of fellow Jews who once believed in him, but now want to kill him. <laughs> and, and they think they're free, but they're actually bound but I want you to hear, what is it that Jesus aches for them to see? What does he need them to hear, even while they want to kill him? All right, John chapter 8, verse 31. We're going to read to verse 47 together. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? 
free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested, but by the way, it was kind of a shot against Jesus. Because some people thought that Jesus was illegitimate. All right. So, ouch. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you were unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. God, we need to understand your word today. Um, but I pray not just for truth to be understood mentally. I pray for it to be transformative within our hearts. So may your spirit bring it to life for us. And as a result, you say where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Bring freedom to our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this account, Jesus is speaking to a high-charged crowd. High-charged. They wanted to kill him. But despite their hatred of him, what is Jesus' heart for them? Did you pick that up? Again, I, I, I don't think I would even want to be there around a group of people who want to take me out. But yet, Jesus is speaking to them and his heart aches for them to know something. What is that? And what does he want not only for them, but for all of us? We all have familiar prisons, but Christ came that we may experience his fullest freedom. Let's look back, all right? John 8, 31. Look at that together. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There it is again. And Jesus reiterates later, verse 36, if the Son, meaning the Son of God, Him, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Or you can translate that, truly free. Now freedom sounds nice. Who doesn't want it? But what does Jesus mean by it? I, had a, I read a really helpful book, thanks Jason Lorenz, a really helpful book called Live No Lies um, from a, a pastor in Portland, Oregon named John Mark Comer. And he said that most people in our society today define or understand freedom as just the permission to do whatever you want. Sounds about right, doesn't it, as far as what most people believe? The permission to do whatever you want. Or a lot of people, like Jesus' audience here, assume that when we talk about freedom, we're talking about a political or social or economic freedom. 
They were saying, we're not slaves in Egypt anymore or to any human power. But for Jesus and the New Testament, it understands freedom is something, is a freedom within our souls. And John Mark Comer gives this definition, which is very helpful. Freedom is the power to want and do what is good. That's the freedom that Jesus is talking about here, to want and to do what is good. So freedom for Jesus, he, he gives us both the desire and the ability to do all our good creator designed us to do. Right, That we would, we would be the people he made us to be. And so freedom looks a lot of different ways. But for example, it looks like Jesus here. Who even though a whole crowd wants to kill him, he's still free from their opinions so that he can love them. Or it looked like some of the people that I met in Asbury who said, we are free from material things. So if God says to go, we go. Or if I, if I have to face discomfort at times to follow him, I will. That's, that's a picture of freedom. You see, freedom that Jesus talks about is freedom from all that which seeks to control us so that we might be fully free for Christ. For Christ. But if life seems good enough, or we feel self-sufficient, we may not even realize we're in bondage. Thank you, Michael, for getting this for me. See, I had the biggest prop I've ever had right here for you guys. Thank you, Michael. So going back, remember, freedom is the power to both want and do what is good, what is of God. Jesus' Jewish audience wanted to kill him. Therefore, they weren't free. <laughs> but they thought they were. They assumed they were. When Jesus told him that he can lead them towards freedom, they answered, we are Abraham's descendants. Meaning, we're people of religious, national, social privilege. We're not slaves to anyone. How can you say that we, are not, we shall be set free? In other words, we don't want your freedom. But what was interesting is in this whole thing, they're sitting there talking to Jesus. And the whole time they are bound up in hatred, envy, pride, all sorts of things. And they're saying, Jesus, we're free. We don't need your freedom. We're totally good. Not realizing the very things that were binding them the entire time. And Jesus is inviting them out. But I think all they've known their whole lives are these bars in front of their faces. This is the only home that they've known. But Jesus is here inviting them to get honest. What I've realized for a lot of us as human beings, man, this may be our case too. And we might be mostly, feel mostly in control of our lives. Maybe we have few financial needs. Maybe we have a lot of good things going for us. And we assume we're free because we get to do whatever we want for the most part. But we don't realize the anger, the jealousy, the bitterness, the fear, the pride. All of these things that keep us bound from knowing and following God to the fullest. Freely. And until we can begin to get honest about the very things that bind us, we aren't free. And even though sometimes being honest is painful, that is where freedom begins. 
But if we're going to understand what these are, well, what are they made of? What are the, how are these built? You know, human prisons are built with stone, iron, concrete, whatever. But what about the jails of the soul? What forms the very bars on those? See, the prisons of the soul are built from the deceptive ideas that we believe about reality. All right, I'm going to get a little mini philosophy thing going on here for just a second. So please hang with me. So first, Jesus says, what sets us free? Do you remember? The truth. The truth sets you free, which is found in his teaching. The truth. Now, what is truth? That's kind of a controversial question these days, right? What is truth? So let's define some things. Again, uh, John Mark Comer's Live No Lies would recommend it. Um, It's very helpful here. It says that truth, a simple definition, another word for it is reality. The truth is reality or whatever it is that, that corresponds to it. And if we understand that truth is reality, then, then let, let's tie it back to what we just said a second ago. Because when we link back to truth, reality, it is whatever corresponds to the Creator's wisdom and His good intentions for us and the world. The truth is anchored in how God made us to flourish and thrive. You tracking with me so far? So if that's what truth is, then deceptions are that which work against God's good design for us. Whatever works against it. So we have truth, we have deceptions. One more word defined, ideas. Ideas are the theories people believe about reality. Ideas can be true. Ideas can also be deceptive or false. They can be in line with reality or they can be at odds with it. For example... The earth is round. This was considered to be, by most people, a deceptive idea for a, lo- for a big portion of history. Until it was proven later to be reality, truth. And this is the thing about truth or reality. Our feelings, our desires, our incorrect thinking can't change it. Because reality is reality. It doesn't, truth doesn't conform to us. It is an objective part of reality no matter what we believe. So again, forgive that mini philosophy lesson. But I say all that to ultimately say this. The ideas we believe shape who we are and how we live. So the popular idea or the theory of reality in secular society is that we as human beings are animals who over time have evolved into the dominant species on earth. The idea is that we are the result ultimately of biological chance. Now, if you believe that to be true, it automatically translates into certain ways of living. Because in the animal world, creatures chase after their instincts, right? They go after whatever makes them happy. So the idea goes, if we're just a more evolved animal, then we should follow our desires too. And for example, animals are rarely monogamous. So why are we? What we believe ultimately affects how we live. But then we look at the Genesis design that ultimately in Scripture it says that human beings were created unique to reflect, image God's good character and govern the rest of creation on his behalf. That we are the result not of biological chance but out of of loving design. And therefore we were meant to see, to know and live out God's design for us. And in that we flourish, we thrive, we find freedom. 
And that even if God's direction goes against our desires, we can trust his way is best. So do you guys guys see this? And whatever ideas we believe about reality ultimately shape who we are and how we live. But the more deceptive ideas shape our thinking, the more imprisoned we become. And Jesus said that while God wants our freedom, Jesus says there is another power, another being, a spirit who is bent on murdering and destroying all that's good. He's called the devil. That Jesus calls him the father of lies. Or as M. Scott Peck called him, the spirit of unreality. For his primary tool to seek to rob people of God's freedom is deception. Is sowing deceptive ideas about reality to ultimately bring down and destroy. Now, for us... Those deceptive ideas can look like a bunch of different things depending on who we are. Perhaps you don't buy the whole secular idea of reality, but what you do believe is that you have to perform well enough in order to be good enough. Or you have to be perfect to be loved. These are lies that form the bars of a prison called performance. Or maybe what we do believe Is that, man, you deserve far better than what you've gotten in life. You deserve to treat yourself. You deserve to do what you want to do in life. These form the bars of a prison called pride. Or we say, hey, it's not a sin if it doesn't hurt anybody. I I can just do what I want. That's what life's about, right? Being happy. These form the bars of a prison called desire which is never, ever satisfied. Or, and if people really knew you, they wouldn't love you. These form the bars of a prison called shame. In all of these, you realize that the devil's primary goal is try to get us to buy the lies that become the prison that ultimately hold us back from walking in the fullness that God has for us. Some Christians call these prisons strongholds. You might have heard that language before. Right? Strongholds, or psychologists may refer to them as destructive mental maps. Right? That these lies start to shape the way that we think to the point to where it's hard for us to believe anything other than them. But I've found that oftentimes we hold on to these lies because we think that these prisons somehow serve us. You know, in my life, I've come to believe many times that I'm only valuable if people approve of me. And this often sets me up in a prison called anxiety, where I'm working really, really hard. And I think anxiety is what gets me up in the morning. Anxiety is what makes me work hard. Anxiety is what keeps me going. So oftentimes I think this prison actually serves me. But then one day I'm burnt out and tired. And so I jump out of this prison and I jump in a different one. (laughs) This one's called desire. Because, man, I'm tired. I want to do what I want to do. I I, I I want to treat myself. I deserve it. I've been working hard. I'm still not free. I'm still not free. But do we not do this as human beings? 
Just jump from one to the next, but still not free. I'm still not free to do or to want and to do that which is good and of God. But if we realize that we are often in bondage to these kinds of things, why should we trust Jesus to lead us out? Why is he the one that we believe or trust ultimately knows the way to freedom and to life as it's intended to be? Because it's not a mere teacher, but it's the Son of God himself who is leading us toward true freedom. You know, what's so, what's so interesting to me is, is, is Jesus, before he died to forgive us of our sin, arose again to give us new life, his life on earth was as a Jewish rabbi. A rabbi is just another name for a teacher, a teacher in the day. Now, what is a teacher's job? To teach us truth, right? To instruct us in the ways of reality so that we can truly thrive in life. Teachers are truth tellers. And that's exactly what Jesus came to be. And a lot, oftentimes we say, well, like, why would we trust Jesus? Or it seems like, well, maybe Jesus is, Jesus is telling us this side, but we can trust other teachers to, to lead us to other sides of God. Like they can all be right, right? No, they can't. Because if you look at what Jesus says and what other teachers say, there are serious contradictions between them. So why would we trust this truth teller? Jesus was answering that question to his Jewish listeners in this. And he said, guys, he says, I'm not a slave to sin like you. He says, I'm an actual son. I belong in the Father's house. He said later on, he says, I've actually, I know the Father's presence. Of course, we know that he's God in the flesh. But he's, just, he's explaining to them in this moment, he says, I don't speak of what I've heard about. I speak of what I know. And that I've experienced. And of course we know that this teacher is God in the flesh. The one from the beginning. The light of the world. That all other earthly human teachers are but moons trying to catch and reflect the light of the sun. But this teacher is the sun himself. One called the capital W word of God. And we can trust that everything he speaks because he is God is truth. And so if we're to be truly free, step one is knowing the truth, but step two is believing and living the truth. It's not enough to just know something about the Bible, but freedom is believing and living that. Remember, freedom is to want and do what's good. And the problem Jesus came up with with his audience was that they heard what was true, they didn't want it. They definitely didn't want to live it. They didn't want it. Their minds heard, but they wanted to believe the lie. For this reason, to be free, we don't just need God's truth. We also need God's spirit. Jesus told the woman at a well four chapters before this. He said, those who worship, the true worshipers of God must worship not only in truth, but also in spirit. Why? Because I can tell you some truths about God And it just speaks to your mind. But the spirit of God is what transforms your heart. So that you go from knowing to wanting to do the will of God. That's freedom. And this is why Jesus called him in in John 16, the spirit of truth. 
Because he brings the truth not just here, but he brings it down into our souls and transforms our lives. And Paul clarifies that in Romans 8 when he says, The Spirit of Christ does not make you slaves again to to our fear, to our pride, to our shame, to our control, to our bitterness. No, the Spirit of God leads you as a child of God to be fully and freely His That to live free, we don't just acknowledge the truth, but we need the power of God's Spirit. And that no matter where we find ourselves today, no matter where you find yourself, Jesus, the true liberator, invites us to put our trust in him and to follow him, not just so that we may just know him as truth, but he might empower us by his spirit. That Jesus is inviting you out from that familiar prison so you can be truly free. So do you believe God is working to set people free today? Do you believe he wants to free people here and now? I do too. In the coming weeks, we're going to look each Sunday at at different specific prisons that try to hold us captive. But today, if you want to live in freedom, I just want to invite you first to get humbly honest. What are the prisons where you often find yourself? It may be hard to look at, but is it bitterness, envy, pride? Is it the constant need to to, to measure up, to stay in control, to please people? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? If you're not sure what it is, ask God. God, what's holding me back from following you fully, freely, completely? As I've named before for you guys, I've realized for me that one of my prisons is, is a fear of what people think. That has held me back from freely following Christ in all areas of my life. But guys, I'm done. I'm done. And are we done? Are we done? Because as, as, if we're there, then we can come before God humbly and honestly and say, I'm ready. Jesus' audience in John 5, they weren't real, willing to recognize their bondage. But freedom begins with humble honesty. But second, ask God's Spirit to show you the lies that have kept you bound and lead you in his truth. I've learned that one of the things that's kept me bound in that thing of fear of people is that I believe I'm only valuable if other people say so. But what God's been giving me in turn is he's been showing me different verses throughout Scripture that say they they give the truth. Places like Galatians 1.10 or Proverbs 29.25, the the fear of man lays a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. And I just consistently speak these over myself whenever these things come up again because I want to be free. And I want to change the way I think, God. Change the way I think. So what I want us to do in this space, we're going to have more of an extended time of worship. Instead of just being one song and we're out of here, I want to actually give space for us to to, to respond to the Lord however he's leading you to. As we think about what it looks like to be humble and honest before God, if, if that response to you looks like coming down here and kneeling and just saying, Lord, I give you whatever prison I'm living in. Show me what lies I'm believing and show me the truth. If you want to bring that up here and physically demonstrate on our knees, Lord, I'm humbling myself before you, man, come on up. First service, we saw a lot of people coming up just to do just that. 
If you need prayer with anybody, I'm going to ask prayer partners. If any of you guys are in here, just come on down and just kind of wait. And if you need prayer, just find any of them. Like, it doesn't matter what song's going. Like, come, let us pray for you. We want this to be a time where you feel free to respond however it is that you feel the Lord leading you to. But it begins by a humble honesty and then saying, Lord, what are the lies that I've been believing? What's the truth? You guys ready to respond? Well, stand with me. I'm going to pray and then just give space to let the Lord speak. We can respond. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus, that you came, that you died to forgive our sins so that sin and death no longer have power over us. That you love us so much that you would give your life for us. That even when we fall short, you continue to love us. And you can lead us, invite us toward freedom in the reality of who you are and who we are in you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Reveal to us your truth and give us the strength to step out of these prisons that have often bound us. And I pray that everybody in here would feel free to respond in whatever way you're leading them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.